Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist about dating, culture, and relationships in the modern world. Today, we are talking about slow living. So this is all about learning to enjoy the little things in life, appreciating all the little minute details of our lives to help ameliorate the crazy stress that we're all experiencing in this digital dystopia. And we're going to get cracking on that podcast at the three minute mark. Before then, we're going to make some announcements, talk about our sponsors. We are sponsored by Crush Organics. Crush Organics have a huge range of CBD oils and CBD oil products. If you want to get some, we've got a code. It'll give you 40% off. Use the code NEIL, N-E-E-L. I know that's spelt weird, but it's actually very logical because N-E-I-L doesn't make any sense. That sounds like net ill. So use the code Neil, N-E-E-L, crushorganics.com. That's crush with a K. Get 40% off a huge range of CBD oil and CBD oil products. If you live in Sydney or Melbourne or Newcastle or anywhere nearby, come see a great comedy show. Some of the best comedians, some of the best up-and-coming comedians, the wildest comedians, the comedians that the mainstream think are too wild, are too edgy. They perform at our show, Comedy Untamed. Go to comedyuntamed.com. And we had a great show last Thursday, but a boomer gave us a one-star review on Google. <laughs> so for a while, and that was the first time we were on Google reviews. So for, we had a bloody one-star rating and it was because I did <laughs> what these. What did it say? Oh, I was just, oh, you don't stop blaming the audience for your poor performance. And look, we there, there was one comedian in particular and I, look, that was a bit unprofessional from her, but she kept abusing the audience for not laughing when <laughs> her material wasn't that good. Um, but I also made these jokes about uh, men in their 50s and 60s who were always having a go at men in their 20s about, oh, these men aren't tough. These men aren't tough. And oh God, all the these irony. men always have man boobs. I'm not going to have my masculinity question by a guy with D cups, okay? So how about you work on your own masculinity? Oh but anyway, if you've come to the show, leave us a good uh, Google review. Um, but yeah, comedyuntamed.com. Come see a great comedy show. Uh, we, uh, if, you've, if you've been subscribed to this podcast, send in a question or a topic. The subscriptions are most likely going to be ending at the end of February and we'll go to a one-off cost model. So get in before then if you'd like. And other than that, I think I've covered everything in the uh, little announcement bracket. So we're going to talk about Slow living, let's go. All right, how are you, Eliza? I'm very good, very tired, but happy. I'm loving the rain, to be honest. Uh, this is my favorite weather, so happy days. Yeah, how are you? It's nice and romantic with the with the rain. Yeah. Uh, I'm good too. Uh, I don't have air conditioning at the moment because. My conditioner broke and I wasn't sure. I don't know if I mentioned this on a podcast, but I wasn't sure if my building is going to be bought by developers or not. So I thought I'd rather not spend a grand on an aircon, but it's just too hot. So I've yeah. already uh, called them to organize a quote. And um, yeah, meanwhile, I'm just just got a little Kmart fan trying to keep me warm. So the rain's good <laughs> for me too. This is nice. That's good. I'm glad. <laughs> What is I need air conditioning too. How does Remy respond to rain? Does he have any kind of reaction to it? 
No, but he has, oh my God, temperatures and babies is so finicky. You wouldn't believe it, like how much you have to know exactly what the degree is inside the room in order how to dress them. If they're too warm, they won't sleep. If they're too cold, they won't sleep. You need to go like, he has to wear a sleep suit and it's 2.5 tog plus like long sleeves or short sleeves underneath. It's like maths. I have to do all these equations constantly in order to get good enough sleep. So yeah. That's what I hate about um, temperature at the moment. I wish it was the same every single night. 20 degrees would be perfect, but yeah. To be fair, when when you get to your late 20s and 30s, you're pretty much the same when it comes to sleep as well. You need exactly the right temperature. (laughs) You need the right amount of blankets. You need uh, (laughs) – I I play all these noises uh, because there's a highway that my apartment block is on. So I got these soothing uh, wave noises while I sleep. And yeah. oh, I'll get this yeah. yesterday morning, it was a Saturday, and uh, I heard this sort of dripping noise. It sounded like a dripping noise. It was just this repetitive kind of like that. And I woke up and there's been so many issues. The structural integrity of this building is useless, right? So I woke up thinking, oh, here we go again. Another leak that the body corporate isn't going to fix. And it sounded like it was coming from near where my balcony is and I just couldn't figure out where it was coming from because I was thinking there's not a pipe there where this noise is coming from. So what was this dripping sound coming from? And then I look out uh, into the opposite building which has glass windows and some stupid kid in the apartment above me decides to go skipping at 7am in the morning (laughs) on his balcony. So in a way I was a bit relieved. Thinking, okay, at least I don't have to fix anything here. But, uh, I mean, look, unless you're the next Rocky, do you really need to be skipping at 7 a.m. on a on a Saturday morning? That's uh, that's so funny. Yeah. So that's how <laughs> I Although for up. some people, 7 a.m. is late. So. Yeah, for you, isn't it? That's that's a sleep in. So for me, <laughs> on a Saturday, 7 a.m., I'm trying to sleep. So Yeah, that's a bit soft. That's the hard thing about living in an apartment, hey? Yeah, maybe I need to uh, wake up earlier anyway. But look, being a comedian, that's just not what we do. We uh, If it makes you feel better, the men on either side of my house mow their lawn like literally two to three times a week each. I don't know. Every single day, someone on either side of me is mowing their lawn. What's I don't with- know why. What's with old men and mowing the lawn? They love the lawn. I know. Adrian's the same as well. It's It's so annoying. We can't have people over unless he's mowed the lawn. He was stressed when you came over the other day because he hadn't done the lawns. That's the kind of thing Neil's going to look at. I will not look twice. I will not judge any man based on the the length of his lawn. Yeah, and but he's he's turning 30 in um, a month and he wants to – he wants a like a electric lawnmower, even though we've already got lawnmowers. He wants a, another one. That's his like special thirtieth present he wants, and a whippersnipper. <laughs> another one. What's an electric lawnmower compared to? Aren't they all electric? It's quiet. Um, well, I think one runs on. I think it runs on petrol. Oh yeah, right. God. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm really uh, This one's rechargeable and it's really quiet. I'm really not but a But I said, why do we don't need to be quiet because our neighbours are so fucking loud all the time. Yeah, yeah, wow. Now look at me waking up after seven and not knowing what a <laughs> lawnmower runs on. Damn, the old man would not be happy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, is what it is. Uh, masculinity is changing. Uh, 
Anyway. Mm-hmm. Today, stay tuned for next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very true. Uh, today we're talking about slow living, keeping things chill, keeping things nice. And uh, as you get older, you start to really understand the importance of uh, just being mindful when you're enjoying the little things throughout your day, whether that's a cup of coffee or reading or just even just sitting in uh, in stillness. These sorts of things, they add up because you experience a few of them throughout the day and if you allow each of them to be a little uh, release of the pressure valve, then that is going to pay dividends for your general well-being if you do that over a long period of time because definitely when I was younger, I didn't really focus on uh, enjoying those little moments of the day and all I was doing was thinking about what I had to do or what I hadn't completed or just stressing mm. about something uh, and it's not good. You don't need to do that. Mm. And there's no uh, just stressing about something's not going to actually solve it or help you in any way. Yeah. So uh, yeah. it's a very simple thing. It seems almost superficial and cringy to some people, but I think it's really important and I'm sure you agree. Uh, so why do you think it's important to enjoy all the all the little moments of your day? Well, first of all, I think like it's important to differentiate that the difference between mindfulness and slow living because mindfulness is about, you know, you might go and have that cup of tea and really like sit down and think and reflect and enjoy it and be present in the moment. Whereas slow living is, is literally a lifestyle change, um, okay. a choice that you make that it's a whole culture and people are really, really um, into it. So the definition is living life in a more balanced, meaningful and life affirming way. Um, So slow living is an every single day practice, which is really interesting. And it's kind of, to, to put it in a nutshell, it's almost like instead of counting down the minutes for something or counting down the days, you're cherishing every minute that you have and finding value and purpose in each moment um, that you're living in. So instead of being like, I can't wait to five o'clock till I finish work, people will romanticize where they're working, being like, I love um, my little job. I love my desk. I love my keypad and just find it, which I think it's always really positive to appreciate um, those little things. But what's really interesting is because we talked about doing this podcast a few days ago and I was like all for um, – like, you know, this this concept and this movement or whatever and um, really embracing it, even just myself trying to like, you know, for me, um, Remy has at the moment two-hour wake windows and because he can't sit up yet, he's four and a half months old, I find like sometimes I'm counting down those wake windows so that he can like <laughs> nap or something, especially when it's raining because I can't take him out. And so we have to play on the floor, but he doesn't want to be seated. He can't be seated up. And then he goes onto his tummy and then he doesn't want to be in his tummy. He has to be on his back, but then he doesn't like being on his back and he gets sick of being held, all these, all these little things. And I'm like, oh my God, can't wait for his next nap. <laughs> um, but now I'm really trying to put this into practice. And I think that slow living kind of came about as it's almost like a new, I don't know if it's a new concept, but it's definitely, it's definitely not a new concept, but it's definitely a new, newly trendy concept. Um, and it's kind of the opposite of hustle culture. Um, and instead of like, you know, working constantly and doing the nine to five grind, plus then doing a side hustle. Um, it's about like, you don't need to do those things. You can live a really content life. You don't have to be constantly working or striving for the next thing. 
blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, I've been all for slow culture lately. But then my friend came over um, the other day, yes, uh, two days ago, and she was saying how her sister, um, who's younger, she's like 20, 20 years old or something, so very like Gen Z and is really into, you know, the side hustles and, and things like that. And I was like, oh, but those never work out. Like I see kids on TikTok talk about that all the time. But this girl had a job and then also sold, got crystals from Ally Express and then sold them on Amazon for like 300% of the price and made $30,000 in a matter of months. <laughs> and then I was like, fuck slow living. Right. Such a good idea. Something like just crazy. How that, and it was so simple for her. How are all these people? What is wrong know. with AliExpress? Why can't China just figure out that they can sell these products higher out to the west? <laughs> well, this has been happening for years. I know it's someone who sold red cups because they bought them off AliExpress and drop shipped them or whatever. I, makes me uh so much it's less crazy. uh respectful to anyone who's uh built uh, a certain amount of wealth because when you actually yeah. find out how half the people who have accumulated wealth have actually done it, it's something so niche yeah. and hardly yeah. creative. It's just yeah. some random gap in a giant monolithic global marketplace that they've just, they're just a little rat that's found a little crack there somewhere and yeah. managed to get the cheese to another little mice family uh, who couldn't get that cheese easier. Mm-hmm. That's a bad metaphor, but the point is they're all rats <laughs> and <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be so cynical, but uh, maybe I need to employ some more slow living. But uh, yeah. But you know you what? Know? Like it's even as as the consumer, like the other day I was, well, a couple of weeks ago actually, I found this really cute like baby baby clothing boutique and it wasn't like expensive. Like Remy will wear something for three, two or three weeks and then he grows out of it. So I really shouldn't even buy anything firsthand, but I have a couple of times first baby thing. And um, I found this baby clothing boutique. And it was really cute, bought some clothes and they took ages to come and they were literally shipped directly from China. Um, even though it was like small handmade Australian brand, I don't think it was handmade, but it was like a you know small business in Australia, like local, um, but they shipped just these cheap clothes from China and I was like, oh, fuck this. But the thing is, is that even knowing that I still, um, and it literally came like with packages written in Chinese, um, like with all these stamps and things on it and stickers. So had, it, she she didn't even buy them, ship them to her house and then sell, ship them from her house in Australia. She literally just gets them shipped from, I don't know, Sheen or something. But even afterwards, I was like, I can't find clothes this cute anywhere else. <laughs> so um, I bought from them a second time, but then I was like, hang on, this is unethical. Though. I won't do it. But uh, I did fall victim to it. But um, on to- the other side, yeah, sorry. I was just yeah. going to say it's really hard to decide what the ethical thing to do in those situations are because <laughs> say if you're selling shirts or uh, well, anything that isn't yeah. high-value manufacturing, it makes it so much cheaper. I mean it's not even mm. comparable how much cheaper it, yeah. the, the end product yeah. becomes when you manufacture it in China or yeah. you know, one of these other uh, developing manufacturing hubs now. And you're in two minds because you you want to, you know, you you understand that there are macroeconomic costs for the domestic market of Australia and social costs when people lose their jobs and whatnot 
when all this manufacturing is shipped overseas. But at the same time, we're talking about one tenth of the price here. Uh, so it's a it's it's yeah. a little moral quandary, isn't it? Now we've all bought Chinese now anyway, and everything's pretty much manufactured there. Um, I know Rode actually of all people, which is funny. Funnily enough, the the equipment that we're using here, they manufacture in Australia, which is really cool because they could probably sell their products for half the price if they manufactured it overseas. But there you go. That's not a that's not a paid plug, by the way. I just know that because a friend of mine <laughs> works there. Um, oh, well, there you go. But yeah, there you go. There's a few still out there. Yeah, it's it's a hard. Like I always think, at least with my um. With my clothing, I've tried really hard to only shop ethically now. Like at the moment, I'm wearing, it's literally just this very plain white sloppy joe. And it was $150 um, because it's it's from a brand called Whoa. Maureen Eve. And they're all like ethically produced and ethical dyes and all these things. Um, minimal, like they make small batches and stuff like that. So That's it's better nice. to for me to invest in small smaller things and um but when with remy's clothes i i found a woman and she makes like bamboo clothing um that grow with them so you can extend the legs extend the body um and it was like 80 dollars, but it will last a year for like a little onesie thing so i got it and then it lasted like two washes and (laughs) then fell apart so i was like that's shitty anyway um last night i was at a at a party um for, well, I was I was barely there. I was there for like an hour and a half, and then I had to leave. Um, but um, I met a girl, and she was saying that um, she used to work for. She didn't say what she did specifically, but she worked for television. And she said, um, you know, she was basically led to having a mental health breakdown. She was working crazy hours, making no money. She was, you know, getting told what to do found no meaning in her job whatsoever. So she quit everything, just like really like had a big breakdown, quit every single thing, um, cut out a lot of people in her life, did all, like cut out vices, etc. And now she works at um, a sandwich shop or like a little cafe or something like that. She makes sandwiches for people. And she said, I work 20 less hours a week, but I make more, slight, like slightly more money. So obviously not that much. But she was like, it's so much more better for my mental health. She's like, I've never been happier. Um, so she just works, you know, does less hours, works at a little cafe. Still makes like, more, did you say? People. Yeah, more money than where, <laughs> where she was. But, you oh, know, wow. obviously working in television, there's more prospects for growth if you put the years in. Yeah. You know, if that's kind of how. If you're a psychopath from age 22 to <laughs> yeah. 35, then, yeah, maybe you get a team yeah. leadership position. Yeah. Yeah, so she um she's really like gone into the slow living moment and her life is like a thousand percent better for her. And she actually said, you know, it's never nice to have a mental health breakdown, but had that not happened, I would still be in that job and I wouldn't have, you know, changed perspective on life that I'd so greatly needed, at least for this moment in time. So um, that was a, it was interesting to hear it firsthand how that's become really helpful for someone. I actually know a lot of um, people that have been doing that, especially recently. We've kind of touched on it in one of our last podcasts about a lot of people leaving their corporate jobs and things like that. But so many people I know, especially now, and that might be, it's more of an after effect of COVID probably more than um, 
than wanting to be slow living but are leaving these high income jobs or corporate type jobs and doing something well off left field and I you would not believe how many people I know all of a sudden going into disability that have never worked in disability especially trades people like tradies um so it's yeah it's nice really interesting yeah yeah hopefully the the, uh uh hysteria and chaos of of covid can engender a sort of mini i wouldn't call it revolution but changing of the guard from what uh we deem an appropriate way of living our uh, professional lives and to an extent that's already happening like what you said we talked about that uh not last podcast the podcast before where what is it two million australians are set to leave their job Mm. that's a huge portion of our workforce i mean i'm I'm guessing the workforce is probably 15 million or something like that and for two million to leave Mm. i mean that's uh close to 10 percent sorry more than 10 percent so that's a lot Mm. and if enough of a critical mass make uh, changes in the in the supply of of labour that can dramatically change the uh, the culture in the in a workplace and mm. the culture of the country at large, I think uh, in the next ten to twenty years, if uh, large portions of millennials have moved to satellite cities like you have and started a family and are uh, more interested in starting small businesses and performing meaningful work, even if it's less pay, uh, rather than slaving away for a giant corporation, that could foster a new culture, a sort of mini baby boom, kind of like what the post-war period was in the the 1950s. And uh, it just could be a different variation of that. And and that gives me a lot of hope and optimism. And I think... Mm. uh, more and more people are uh, are set on on doing things like that and breaking yeah. the trend and working part time and look it it could also have some negative ramifications if uh you know there's a there's a massive labor shortage and you have to rely mm. on entirely on foreign labor or just companies completely ship their operations even their white collar operations are outsourced to well let's be honest probably india they all mm. speak English and uh, they're willing to work very long hours. Mm. Uh, but overall, for the for the culture at large, I think this could be a very positive trend. But uh, slow living seems to be just um, one little aspect of that. And uh, mm. yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I apologize. I thought it was just essentially. Uh, analogous to mindfulness and gratitude, but it's sort of its own subculture yeah. within that as well. And yeah, exactly. It'll be interesting nice. to see though um, when or if and when it starts to swing back. Because I feel like nature has a way of bringing everything back into balance. And I already know multiple people that have moved up to the coast recently, um, or in the last couple of, or basically since COVID, like I did. Um, and they're talking about going back to Sydney already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, yeah. Like, what, what are their reasons? What do they, well, um, one girl I spoke to last, um, last night at this party said that she moved up, um, a couple of months after I did and she has, um, a husband, I think it's in the army or something like that. So she's on her own, you know, quite a bit. And she just said, like, I, I'm separated from everyone, like my friends, my family, like I'm a bit isolated and it's hard to make friends 
as an adult. Um, yeah. And I connect to that. Like if I hadn't had a baby, um, I wouldn't have made friends. <laughs> or if I didn't have this podcast, <laughs> I wouldn't have met people. Um, so it's I do understand that. Um, like literally having a baby gave me a community up here, which I probably wouldn't have had with without a baby. So yeah, it's a, it's that's the payoff. And of of course, her husband not being there much, not being at home. Um, is a big one. And then my other friend, it's, it's basically just because of job prospects. Like the commute is a lot. Um, there's not that much up here. There's, you know, there's, well, there is obviously some, but not, especially not if you're in like marketing and things like that, or there's barely anything of that realm. So Mm. yeah. It'd be interesting interesting. if uh, more and more offices allow permanent work from home yeah. In these white collar industries because then it allows people to move outside of the capital cities. And I understand that it's probably not the best for team morale uh, if everyone is working remotely. But at the same time, if the if the uh, mental health benefits for each of the workers offset any potential cost of uh, not being in proximity with each other in a in a given workspace, then that sounds like a good deal. And yeah. I, I, I wonder as the Zoom technology continually uh, improves and Zuckerberg's metaverse goes from looking like some rubbish 2005 Second Life ripoff to something actually good, uh, whether or not a lot of companies will adopt this. And, and of so course, for great. them, the bottom line, the, the cost cutting of not having to rent out an office space or buy a, a skyscraper or whatever they whatever costs mm, are involved yeah. there um that would probably save them a lot of money and yeah i wonder if that then opens the door for more people to comfortably move uh, out of the capital cities and i mean australia in particular has so much space and we're yeah. very concentrated in in the five capitals yeah. especially sydney I mean, half the population is Sydney, Melbourne, I think, or, or Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane are more than yeah. half the population. And there are really nice cities that probably have a population of um, anywhere between 20,000 to 100,000 that could easily, over the space of a couple of decades, you know, become an Adelaide-sized city without becoming a metropolis like Sydney or Melbourne. They could they could easily become uh, a Gold Coast or Adelaide, Adelaide-sized city and, and maintain that friendly a community atmosphere yeah. without feeling too rural and isolated as as well and um i think that yeah. labor's doing a big high speed planning to do a high speed rail um between the the long term plan is brisbane to melbourne um because sydney to melbourne is the most uh the the highest frequency flight route in the world I didn't know this, but that's pretty crazy. Uh, there are more yeah. planes going daily between Sydney and Melbourne than anywhere else in the world because I suppose they're the biggest, two biggest financial hubs of the of the country and of Oceania, and so that makes sense. And and then if there is a high speed rail that can get you from Sydney to Melbourne in I don't know three hours or something, I would love that. That'd be great. I'm in Melbourne all the time. For sure. That would be awesome. And I'd probably prefer that because flying is not always the most pleasant experience. Um, And being on a train is actually nicer in many ways. So, yeah, I mean, there's obviously uh, a few, uh, uh, the the logistics and the cost of something like that is 
gargantuan and it wouldn't happen until we're probably in our 50s or something at least. So who knows? Oh. But uh, <laughs> I was it, getting excited there. <laughs> I think they're, they're definitely planning to do a Sydney to Newcastle thing. I don't know. Yeah. And then and then you look at WA, there's, there's so much space there. I mean, yeah. You definitely have a, a second sort of city comparable to Perth somewhere out there. Uh again, this is all, you know, depending on the geography and you probably have to buy up people's lands and things like that and then to actually plan a big city is not obviously no easy feat, but uh why concentrate our population in a country as large as Australia? Why concentrate our population in five, particularly two giant capital cities? I mean, I say that and I live here, but yeah. <laughs> um, if the technology and the infrastructure allows uh, people who otherwise have to stay in the capitals mainly for their job to actually change that, I think that could be a good thing long term. It would be a very big investment and a big cost to the taxpayer, but it's a it's an investment that would then pay off in the in the long run. Yeah, I think for sure they actually. Are, I don't know if this is a new thing, but I just read the other day that um, the Australian government offers teachers to if they go um, rural or regional um, and teach there for more than four years, all of their hex debt gets eliminated, um, which I thought was pretty amazing because they're looking for they need like high quality teachers in small small towns across Australia um and when it's interesting specifically like thinking about a lot of my friends that are teachers well I mean a lot of I know like three (laughs) but um they always say that um it's really hard to find a permanent job in Sydney they're all on like year-long contracts so when the year ends they never know if they're staying at that school if they need to look for another job um, at another school or it's just finding school jobs is quite hard in Sydney. Whereas these people are saying, I'll wipe tens of thousands of all your hex debt if you come here for four years. I'd be tempted. It's not bad. My sister yeah. uh, gets a – she's an optometrist and she's in oh, wow. uh, the south coast. Not even – I wouldn't even call it rural. It's just a sort of small yeah. beach town and uh, her pay goes up substantially um, by – doing that there's some sort of initiative if you go outside of the capitals you get yeah i don't know if it's the government that pays that or the industry i don't know but um you you make more money basically so yeah there are incentives to uh spread the population but it's very hard when yeah like you said you got all your friends and family and for someone who does comedy i can't be uh anywhere other than the capitals right right now but uh, and then even then really outside of sydney and melbourne it's pretty slim pickings um having said that there's some cool things popping up newcastle comedy club is really really cool place if you live around there um so yeah it's this sort of the the 2020s almost feel like a decade of flux uh the post-war order is definitely coming to an end and, and even geopolitically uh, globalization and global trade is now a lot more insecure and America doesn't necessarily want to police the world's oceans the way they have um, since the since the world war and there could be a lot of chaos and more skirmishes like what we've seen with Russia and Ukraine. I think, however, by the time we hit the, the 2030s and particularly the 2040s, huge trends are, are happening uh financially which is that the 
baby boomers, were the wealthiest generation in the history of mankind, uh, are going to um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna pass on eventually, and there's gonna be the biggest transfer of wealth in most likely human history, uh, and we're all gonna inherit that, which and it's not nice to think about because these are our you know loved ones, but look, in 20, 30 years, we're going to, as a generation, collectively, going to amass this gigantic um, collection of wealth, and that's not going to be equally distributed, sure, uh, but that's going to have huge ramifications for uh, the, the culture of us as a generation and, and the culture at large and, and entire economies because this is huge. And that's such a good point. I've never even thought about that. Yeah. I think people yeah. got to start thinking about that because it's, yeah. it's still quite a while away. The, the, it's, it's, it's starting to happen already, but I mean, the, the real critical mass is probably going to happen in the 20 late 2030s to sort of the early 2050s. That's when a bunch of middle-aged millennials are going to inherit a ridiculous amounts of money yeah. and wealth. And they're probably going to be moving into positions of power. I think Gen X now, it's their time because boomers are now all starting to retire and it's Gen X's time to run government, run corporations, basically run countries. Uh, and they're going to have their time and they, they're in a pretty chaotic time. I wouldn't want to be a leader in this at this time, post-COVID. It's not fun. Uh, but that's going to change in 15, 20 years years or so and the most populous generation in the world millennials are going to run the world and companies and um they're gonna the the way that we i think now in the next 10 years we sort of think about the the culture of what we what we want to uh integrate into those positions of power and 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 looking at maybe the potential mistakes that our parents made and how we can correct for that. And, you know, if we inherit, if, you, if you're lucky enough to have parents that own a large uh, investment property portfolio, is it worthwhile to just keep all of that? Do you want to just sit around with three investment properties and, you know, make good money and live a very, very luxurious lifestyle? Or do you want to invest in a, in, in a company that could maybe even become more profitable but is riskier and, and probably does more for yeah. the economy at large. I, I think I like to think with, with what we've had to endure as a generation in this in this sort of housing chaos, we'll have a very different outlook. Alternatively, we yeah. could finally inherit some of that wealth and think, oh, okay, now it's our turn. It's my turn. <laughs> so yeah. but I think we're gonna then think of yeah. our children and and yeah. And remember what we went through and, and say, well, okay, what, what, what can we do with this that's a bit more beneficial for the economy and the community at large? But I suppose that's a bit different to slow living. And, yeah, right now we just have to, we have to do things like that because um, it's very chaotic times, very uncertain times. And, look, we're still in a very prosperous time throughout history. Things are still great. Yeah. There's no war or anything like that. But... Uh, a lot of a lot of cultural issues, uh, a lot of sort of uncertainty there, which is obviously what we talk about on our podcast, but also, yeah, financial uncertainty for a lot of people. And I think slow living sounds like a very optimal and, and beneficial strategy uh, for your mental space as you move through this uh, next period of your life. Yeah, definitely for your mental space, but at what sacrifice to your 
you know, economic space. So I think that's the big um, dilemma. And I think one of the biggest concepts of slow living is the idea of um, something called time poverty, which is, you know, self-explanatory that when you have this hustle culture and you're trying to make money and, and things like that, you don't have any time for yourself and, and time is passing you by faster than you can even realize. And you know how sometimes you'll be like the last two weeks were a blur or the last six months were we're blur, et cetera. It's because, you know, our brains, um, they, when we do repetitive behaviors day in and day out and we don't do new things or exciting things or adventures, we're just doing the same routine every single day. Uh, our brain compounds all those memories and makes it into one big block. So then it feels like time's gone by really faster. So one of the key things to making time go slower and enjoying time is to be doing new things or changing your routine um, or being explicitly present in every single moment that you can remind yourself to do so. Um, so you'll find like with slow living, we, we keep talking about this t- cup of tea thing, but it's, it's usually like, you know, you see someone and instead of getting a mug, putting a tea bag in it and um, scrolling through their phone on TikTok, they're getting a cute mug, hand painted, hand pottery, ceramic mug okay. and making, getting loose leaf tea letting it brew and then inhaling the scents and sitting down with a book and watching the rain or watching the sun or listening to the the wind you know those kind of things which sounds cringy or whatever but it's so nice when you actually try to do that um when i lived in in um crow's nest with my um with my friend every weekend we would get coffees from the coffee shop downstairs and then we would go to our rooftop of the apartment building which had these little like um um uh like picnic tables almost on the roof and we'd sit there and we'd bring up paints we'd bring up journals we'd bring up like all these things and we would just talk paint do tarot cards (laughs) drink our coffee nap in the sun and it was so so beautiful um and then she moved out and i stopped doing that habit on my own which is really um sad because it was my idea to begin with and then all of a sudden i was just passing these weekends and then i never felt like i actually got a good break before work came back so it's a good reminder of like actually implementing those things and romanticizing every moment that you can has such a nice impact on your life um but like i said before i guess the the concern is when you really like, you know, it is slow living in the mindset, it's a culture, it's a practice. And a big part of that seems to be putting financial progress or career progress on the back burner. So living in the now, which I tend to do, and I was talking actually about this with my friend who came up the other day when she was saying like, are you concerned about your finances because I was saying I want to take a year or two off um, and she was like how are you going to afford that um, and I was like I don't know I'll just I'll figure it out as I go and she was like I wish I was like that you're always so in the present Eliza like blah 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 it's so amazing and I was saying you know that's that sounds really nice but it's also actually not always a great thing because I'm not thinking about the future I'm not planning for the future I'm just taking it as it goes so I could if I maybe sat down and looked at it, all the money I had and all the budget we have or whatever and we're figuring out where our finances are we don't do that <laughs> we just think you know what it's gonna work out <laughs> um but any, I guess any, I'll see you in a few months <laughs> any ethnic listeners are uh, getting PTSD right now hearing that <laughs> um, they're pulling their hair out <laughs> yeah but uh 
I think that's a look. I think there's a there's a there's a healthy balance, and yeah, I I'm trying to yeah be more. It's it's might not be the exact um, attributes of slow living, but being mindful when I eat, when I yeah. eat, when I drink, uh, because you can get in the habit of just sculling drinks really quickly, and before you know it, you've had five or six beers. Whereas if you just sip one nice and slowly uh you get that enjoyment for a much longer time and you also feel less guilty because you've had what well you probably shouldn't feel uh guilty at all if you're having one or two but uh i i do but that's because it was drilled into me from a very young age alcohol is bad but uh and it is but if you're just uh experiencing a lot of stress and guilt for for something that you've already done well, that's counterintuitive because if you've already done it, what's the point? Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah that's my, a, that is a good point, actually. Being, yeah, being mindful about yeah. uh, just simple pleasures is really important. And, you know, you know, whether or not you want to go and paint and things like that, I, that's probably not for me. But um, just little things like, uh, yeah, particularly eating and, and, and drinking. Even if I'm just drinking a, a tea or a water or a coffee, I'm trying to just slow it down as much as possible and not necessarily the yeah, pace but so just, uh, all right, what does it taste like? Let it kind of yeah move around my mouth and, and describe like what it actually feels like. Yeah, yeah, everything. do a wine tasting for everything, right, because yeah. I think we forget yeah. how uh, – nice simple foods can even taste and then you just get a little a little hit of dopamine that you would otherwise have needed from consuming so much more of that and it's not it, you know you're not losing a bunch of time throughout the day anyway you just uh yeah rather than rather than sitting there for half an hour and having to watch uh watch something while you eat dinner or, or lunch or something just take 10 minutes and really just uh focus in on the on the texture of whatever you're eating and look i'm sure a lot of people are going to yeah. listen to this and and cringe and and think that it's a bit hippy hippy dippy or whatever but uh, it works uh we we always use the phrase hippy dippy i feel like what's like i don't know what the alternative i think about this all time because i say hippy dippy so much <laughs> i got to like i got to stop but it it, it is what cringy people- uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a softer, yeah. a softer version of like new age cringe or chuggy or something. Yeah, like chuggy. That. That's a good but one. Yeah, it's so true though. Like when I worked in Bankstown, me and my um my previous colleagues, we used to get bubble tea like once or twice a week, and we'd always be so excited for it. We're like, don't do meetings at Thursday, two o'clock. We'll go down to Bankstown shops and get a bubble tea and. I, by the time we'd walk to the shops and back to the office, which was like five, 10 minute walk, I'd always drunk my bubble tea and it was so exciting, but it was gone in like two minutes. And then my friend, she'd get one and she'd drink it all afternoon, like literally from two to five to we leave, she'd just be finishing her bubble tea. She'd just take little sips here and there. And I'd always be so like, not jealous because it's something I can so easily control yet I couldn't, but it's such a good point, like to just actually enjoy like so her that thing for her got to last three hours for me it lasted three minutes and it was done and that was six dollars and I barely even remembered it because we were talking the whole way home um the whole way back to the office so I think it's um it is actually a really good practice and anytime I'd ever seen like a dietitian they always say that like eat without um eat without 
a TV or your phone, or even one told me eat with chopsticks, like anything that can really connect you to your food and, um, and, and, and drink makes such good and healthy eating practices for yourself and such a good, better relationship with food. It's not about slowing yourself down so you don't binge, although that's one positive impact of it but it's just about having a healthy connection and relationship with anything that you're consuming which is the whole point of slow living it's all about like consumerism and what is needed versus what is not needed and it's it kind of like ties in with minimalism and things like that as well um although a lot of people are going out and buying those nice handmade pottery cups so maybe not but yeah it's um it's a good point i think i think a lot of i i do wonder like how many um the difference between how many women this would appeal to compared yeah, to men. Yeah, I was just about to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if the what you did with your friend, which sounds very nice, I don't know if a lot of men would uh, uh, find that appealing, but <laughs> yeah. I guess for, for, for men, slowing things down, though, is, is nice. I mean, I don't see why you need it. Think about where, when you're a hungry boy, the way he eats, when you were 10 years old and you were starving and you're like, Mom, come on, give them, give them, I'm so hungry. And then you just scoff it down. You want to do the opposite of that. I think uh, you want to, if you are feeling particularly hungry or a craving for whatever substance you might uh, rely on, you just want to relax as much as possible in that moment and just, you know, drop your shoulders and breathe. And then when you do consume that, if you do, uh consume it very slowly and not in a erratic boyish way uh just be sort of calm and stoic about the way you perform daily duties i think that's uh that might appeal to men more but then again yeah i don't know some men might just want to look i don't think there's anything wrong with um dedicating yourself to a cause and and yeah hustling and even working a crazy amount of hours each each day if it's a meaningful cause i just don't Mm. I just don't find it appealing when people hustle for a business that they don't even fundamentally believe in. They're just doing it because, oh, there's a gap in the market and I can sell these cups on Alibaba or whatever the fuck they're doing <laughs> that it's purely just yeah. to try and make money. And I get it if, you've, if, you, if you're in a, a harsh position financially, I'd, I'd have a bit more sympathy for that. But in fact, I was talking to my dad about this and my dad and I both have – He's a very hardworking man. I like to think I, I uh, definitely have the capacity to work extremely hard and dedicate a day to and and weeks at a time to just one artwork or one stand up special or one side business that I'm that I'm doing. But it has to mean something to me. It has to, you know, with comedy untamed, I'm doing it and I'm and I'm dedicating a lot of my time to it because I believe in creating a new artistic comedic institution for the future and creating a point of difference to the mainstream comedy industry and giving an opportunity for otherwise just stand-up comedians to uh, mm. create regular content and post on their socials so that stand-up comedians aren't uh, disadvantaged in this world of social media comedians. So it's something I believe in and it, as much as it stresses me out, it, it's it's that purpose that lets me push through whereas i just i just don't understand people who will start a business purely because regardless of how they feel about the product or service that they're selling they just purely see a you know quote gap in the market and so they think oh yeah cool i'll just sell cola 
well, that's is that yeah. something meaningful? You really want to become a millionaire selling a carbonated fake drink that's giving people diseases? I don't know. I just uh, I yeah. don't I don't understand that, and I don't think it's a I don't think it's the most unethical thing you can do, particularly. But I don't think it's it's uh, ethical in a positive direction. Uh, maybe that's yeah. judgmental. I don't know, but I just I don't understand it. Yeah, I think it's a lot of you know. I actually ended um, a previous relationship for this reason because, and it was really hard for me to get him to connect to my reasoning. He was a re- he's a really lovely person, a beautiful guy. He did really well in marketing. Um, but a lot of his, well, his entire career was about like, he'd always be talking about like, oh, if you use this color and this, we manipulate someone and this is how we get them to consume more sugar, et cetera. This is how we get them to crave this. And I kind of just like, I always felt so um, icky about it. And not that it gave me the ick, it just made me so uncomfortable. Always try to explain like, you spend your whole life figuring out not your whole life, but your whole career, how you can manipulate someone to spend their money on your product and how you can get them addicted. Like, doesn't that make you feel some kind of way? Like, doesn't it? And he didn't understand that, which I totally get because to him, he grew up with a wealthy family who are very loving and they love to do things with their family, do things for their family. It's all about like money provides so that you can do the things that you love and enjoy. So hustle away, make, you know, make your moves, do what you can because then you can cherish your loved ones and, and give them the life they deserve. You can look after your children, blah, blah, blah. What's interesting though, is I've just found out that this, um, this ex-boyfriend of mine actually is, um, now going, quitting and starting to be a nurse. So he's, (laughs) he's had a change of heart. I wonder if that was COVID. So yeah. It's a small, it's a, it's a early and mid twenties guy thing to just be consumed with this Gary V lifestyle of I just need to hustle yeah. and, yeah. you know, get 30 Bugattis or whatever. It's just uh, it's a lot of it comes from insecurity. I, I am definitely not against hard work and disciplining yeah. your mind and your body and, and dedicating yourself to a cause. Uh, but I think there are far more meaningful causes than, yeah, selling as much carbonated sugary drinks as you possibly can and outdoing your competition. The thing is that it does create an arms race uh, when every firm is doing that. You, you kind of have to do that. And uh, similarly to the outsourcing of manufacturing, if, if literally every business that creates clothing garments is uh, outsourcing their manufacturing operations to a country with very cheap labor, well, it's not impossible, but it just makes it that much harder for you to compete in the Australian market if you're manufacturing that domestically. So there's an arms race that uh, is going on, and as soon as one person starts to become, or one firm, or it's, this is a, this is game theory. It's very interesting, isn't it? One person starts to take upon uh, selfish measures to uh, maximize their position uh, in a, you know, in a in a competitive hierarchy. Well, then everyone has to do that, and uh, there's even yeah. with social media, uh, do you, you know, I know if I go out there and just do some pranks or something like that, I'd get a huge amount of views, but I don't want to contribute to that arms race of who can make the dumbest content 
Um, and I look, I like pranking <laughs> videos. It's funny, right? But yeah. at the same time, yeah. you can become too much of a purist and you can become yeah. so uh, fearful of, of doing anything that could be perceived as dumbing yourself down, uh, you know, moving your business into an unethical direction or or your life into a financially minded direction and, and go too far the other way and then become, you know, just a, a vagabond who just lives off the dole and meditates all day, which look, I mean, that there's worse things you could do. I think actually if you're a white collar criminal, arguably you're, you're having a far uh, worse impact on society than someone who just doesn't work. But I think there's a, there's a Goldilocks, uh, position yeah, somewhere you know, there. there's an interesting connection there that I found um when I was really involved in like a vegan social community back when I lived in Sydney and I had a lot of friends that were um or I made a lot of friends through this that were vegan um and so many actually probably majority of these people like maybe there was like 50 of us that we'd have like a lot of um like parties or gatherings regularly with basically all of them except maybe me, my housemate and like one or two others that worked full-time in a co- in a job um, and everyone else worked um, casual, every single person. The only thing they all had in common was that they were vegan and, um, and you know, of course with veganism comes a lot Excuse of me. like, you know, ethics and, and I think a lot of them embrace that slow living type lifestyle. But I did find that as a really – interesting connection there about all these people uh working casual pot which is fine but they're also all happen to be vegan so that was so um well, that's the yeah that's the stereotype isn't it yeah yeah it was really and yeah they did sit around and you know meditate and do lots of like bushwalks at a lot of the events they'd be like okay thursday morning 11 we'll do a bushwalk to the blue mountains and i'm like i work like <laughs> i can't do that shit um but like good yeah. for them, um, and I can, and I can see as well. Like some people are like, "What's the point? Like I'm never going to be able to get a house. <laughs> I may as well just yeah. live by on when on the, whatever means I can and enjoy my life." Yeah, so, when the when the rewards of that yeah. uh, full time lifestyle are increasingly becoming out of reach, people just no longer have faith in that way of living yeah. anyway. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, each to their own. Um, I do think, yeah. uh, you know, being conscientious and, and diligent and hardworking are good attributes that everyone should aim for. But yeah. what are you actually being diligent and disciplined about? That's the question I think you got to ask because if it's something, if it's something that's uh, destructive to to mankind and society, then I, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm and being also, judgmental, but yeah, I don't know. Are we, I think this will be a good podcast to do actually one day, but like are we as a generation too opposed to feeling discomfort? Like we're like, I don't want to have the discomfort of a full-time job and blah, 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 so I'm going to work part-time, make less money, etc. I actually had a kind of debate about this with my um, friend uh, the other day when she posted, she sent a video to our group chat of, this woman sitting down with her two and a half year old um, and was talking to her daughter about um, consent. 
and she was giving the daughter, who was two and a half, um, a narrative saying, if you don't want to hug, you can, like, what do you say? And the little girl was like, I say, no, thank you. Please respect my body. I don't want a hug. And my friend was saying, this is so extreme. Like, what two-year-old talks like this? And me, I was like, I love this. I love that that language is being implemented in a, it from childhood, these early foundations that are set before the age of five. I do the same. I read Remy books about like <laughs> feminism consent, like baby books, um, bodies. I do, I do those things. So I love that personally. But then we had a really good conversation about like how obviously consent and body is one thing that, sh- you know, that's really not to me negotiable. That should always be taught. Um, maybe the language around it is a bit intense, but that should always be taught. But when we try to do everything to bubble wrap our kids from experiencing anything um, adverse or bullying, um, like that book, the, the what is it? The Coddling of the American Mind? Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. Yeah. And he talks about how we try to build, um, we're, we're not building resilience in our kids anymore by protecting them from like these strict zero policy of bullying in schools um, and when schools intervene on things that happen outside of school as well. If their two students got into something at 8 p.m., the school intervenes and things like that. It's actually not that. <laughs> um, it's not as effective and it's not helpful to these children later on in life that can then no longer take um, – intense responses from their boss or a certain tone of voice might really impact them or hurt their feelings. So there is this kind of, um, you know, thing we have to be aware of is discomfort is a normal part of life as well. And we have to, we can't just avoid that in every aspect and think this doesn't make me feel good or this doesn't feel good with my gut. You know, a lot of people say, check in with your gut, check in with your heart, check in with your head. How does it make you feel? Not, you can't be feeling good in every aspect all the time, which not many people do, of course, but a lot of people use that as a reason being like, I can't do this or I'm not going to do this because it doesn't feel right. Um, but then, you know, I feel like that contradicts so many other things I've said. So it's so, it's so hard. It's a, it's a difficult balance, isn't it? Yeah. Things, yeah. pendulums always swing too far one way or the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. if you, yeah, yeah, it's important to, uh, instill, uh, proper ideas of empathy and, uh, e- ethical behavior in young people and, and boys especially, but the bastardized version of that is when they're uncomfortable with their masculinity and their, you know, normal male urges. And there's now a cohort of Gen Z boys who think it's sexist to talk to a girl. And that doesn't help anyone because there's already mm. now a, well, a man drought. Um, and so uh, more men need to start be part of the conversation of how to raise boys as well, because yeah. uh, as I'm sure women understand it's very frustrating when men are telling women how to act, uh, but there are a lot of modern feminists who are now telling boys how to act more, going beyond just how mm-hmm. they act towards them. And I think a lot more men need to yeah. come into that conversation in a and, and create um, new ideas of uh, being a man and being a straight man in a way that's presented to young boys that gives them faith in their gender and who they are and allows them to be comfortable yeah. with their 
their urges and their ability to be very strong and to be powerful and to do awesome physical things and and yeah. be confident but also to be uh emotionally intelligent and that's yeah look that's a very different podcast i think um but the point i was trying to make i guess is that yeah things just swing often too far one way or the other and then there's some people who take you know modern western spirituality to a ridiculous degree and just do acid every day and don't yeah. work and obviously that's <laughs> ridiculous so uh there are also people who yeah take the hustle culture too far and there's always going to be extremes on either end and the the mainstream culture is going to vacillate between the two and uh we'll see what happens right now there's a definitely a trend among millennials at least that is going against what can be described as hustle culture or corporatism and we'll see what happens i think uh yeah. we're in pretty interesting times well said okay well i think uh i think it's a good point to to end that one um you got to go put remy to sleep don't you <laughs> so uh thanks for listening guys we are gonna get back into some video podcasts eventually just as i said in that uh, announcement late last year right now i just don't have the means uh and it's probably gonna take up a bit too much of my time and also my youtube channel it's affecting the algorithm a few things like that but what will most likely happen is we might even create a separate youtube channel or a separate youtube video pay uh sorry spotify video page that'll happen hopefully sometime in the next uh, couple of weeks or months. So stay tuned. But otherwise, thank you for watching. Uh, sorry, listening, I should say. I just said, how are we not doing video podcasts? So thank you for listening. We will see you. Well, you will listen to us next week. <laughs> Bye, next guys. Week.